on the calendar. Uh, and it is a day that we celebrate the fact that we have a risen Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> just we will slowly muddle through. Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a, a word of prayer to get started today. We are on, uh, for the sake of clarity, we're on page two, at the bottom of page two of our lesson. And we're going to have some competing interests today, so I will be as laser-focused, I promise you. And we will do this all together. Amen? Amen? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you and give you praise for all that you do for us. We thank you, Lord, for how you give us the opportunity to sit in fellowship. And, Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning. We know that where more than two are gathered, you are present. Lord, we ask you now to quiet our spirits, allow us to humble ourselves before you, that we can hear you speak to us through the upcoming lesson. And we thank you, Lord, that these are your words and not mine, that you're the one who is the one who's speaking. We thank you for good discussion, good conversation, and we give you praise and thanks for all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We're continuing in lesson number 11. And again, as a reminder, we're on page two of the lesson, right at the bottom, and we were moving out of this uh, space in the lesson where we were speaking about shame, and we're picking up now into a new area. But I don't want to go too quickly past shame. I want to make sure that we recognize, this as a brief recap, the importance of this discussion about how we need to see that God is present in our lives in spite of what we do. And how we can push him away, but he never pushes us away. We merely need to recognize that he truly is the one who is Lord and he loves us and wants us to come back to him. The first thing we talked about in this lesson was about shame and how Satan is the one who projects us to have this shame because of his deception, because of the way that we live in the flesh. And he knows that this shame thing is a resistance to truly seeking the Lord. It's a way of resistance. When you're ashamed of yourself, you don't necessarily run to God. You kind of just go into a shell. You kind of go back and crawl into your own space. Well, I recognize that the important thing about this this issue is that you're not sinning anymore, but now you are not seeking the Lord for this comfort that he is going to give to you. Understand something. This whole thing about shame, the whole thing that Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden, when they were realized they were naked, what do they want to do, run and do? They wanted to do what? Run and hide. We run and hide from God more often than we care to acknowledge. Running and hiding from the Lord is what we frankly, specialize in doing when we know we do something we shouldn't do. And the natural response to that should be for us to say, look, you know what? It's time to put our big boy and big girl pants on and say this is time to move forward and we need to seek the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and move forward from that area of shame because, frankly, what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us is every reason for us to get up every day and praise him for what he's done. So let's look at this part about suffering. Making sure that 
you are not condemned, but you are convicted. And now we now look at suffering. So we, what we did last time, and we ended here, but we'll go back to it real quick. Let's go back to Psalm chapter 6. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 6. And we're going to look at the first four verses. It says on the, pa- on the uh, handout, verses six, 2 through 4, but we're going to look at the part of verse 1 as well, too, because we need to also set the stage for what is really going on here. So Psalm, it's okay, Psalm 6-1. Now I'm going to read after where it says about the choir master part. So pick up where it says, O Lord, in verse 1, Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So this sets the stage for what this psalmist is saying. He knows or has the belief that God is angry and does not want to face discipline in God's anger or wrath. Verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in, uh, that, and that's the end, I'm sorry, I'm about to keep reading, because it was getting good. Okay, so in Psalm 6, verses 2 through 4, the psalmist is miserable. He mentions several problems. What are those problems? What are the problems that the psalmist is mentioning? Well, look at what it says. How is he feeling? He's weak. He feels weak. He's languishing, which is weakness, right? Greatly troubled soul is troubled. His whole body is troubled. He is experiencing the weight, frankly, of guilt. Because he's recognizing that he has done something that transgressed against God. And what is he looking for? He's looking for deliverance. He wants to be delivered from the way he feels. He doesn't want to experience God's discipline Sensing that God is extremely angry with him. And we need to understand something. We were created as emotional beings. We were created in God's image. God is an emotional God. Amen? He has emotion. He has expressed emotion in his word, in his passages. And if the psalmist is getting the sense that God is angry and does not want to deal with God's discipline, probably the worst thing that you can experience or feel as a person is experiencing any kind of discipline knowing in your mind that God is angry with you. Amen? I mean, that's something that's very important. When we were raised... In our families, we know that it's not a good thing to experience your mother or father's discipline when they are angry. In fact, we are taught 
to not discipline in anger because you might do something that goes beyond what the normal discipline calls for. And there's a good reason for that. We need to understand that. You can discipline someone in love and do so and get the point across and get the message across. Well, this person writing the psalm, the psalmist, is worried about God disciplining him in anger. Why is that? Because when God usually disciplines with anger and wrath, it's not a good situation. It could mean the end. So we need to understand what the psalmist is experiencing here. What does he beg God for in verse 4? Pardon me? Deliverance. He is asking for deliverance. He does not want to feel the way he does anymore. He's asking for the Lord to turn away from wrath and rather deliver him because of his loving kindness. Wouldn't we all love that? We want to experience God's loving kindness. We want to experience his steadfast love. We know that God is love because we read about that in Scripture, in 1 John, where we know that God indeed is love. And he projects that love. And understand something, this is not a thing to go too quickly about. A lot of people have a hard time, based upon how they were taught and their teachings, about understanding how God who purports himself to be a God of love, which he is, and I have to understand, this is, I'm paraphrasing what other people think. How can a God of love send people to hell? You have to understand, a lot of people are not following the Lord closely because they can't accept that particular teaching. And part of the problem with that teaching is that it's an incomplete teaching. It's an incomplete teaching. And you have to understand that people, first of all, this church does a top flight, A1 job of teaching Scripture. All the way around the board. And I'm I'm saying that because of the pastor, not because of me. He's the one who's the teacher. But let me tell you something. Not all churches have a Pastor Gus. When it comes to teaching. And a lot is left out when it comes to understanding about what Scripture is saying. When we put two and two together, talk about how can a God of love send people to hell? What we have to understand is, and we can't summarize that all in this class, but we have to understand something about God's holiness versus our flesh. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You send yourself to hell. But that's the teaching that has to be made. That's what has to be explained in greater detail when it comes to teaching Scripture. In other words, coming across with fire and brimstone is not always effective when it comes to teaching. And you notice that I don't come across with fire and brimstone. I just tell you exactly what the deal is when it comes down to how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which, number one, would take care of all of that. You won't have to worry about all that stuff. But the worst thing that you can ever experience, because you were created as an eternal being, 
You're going to live forever. Amen? You're all eternal beings. You're not talking like Stephen Hawking talked about where you're going to cease to exist when you die. Because he didn't have the truth. You're an eternal being. But the worst thing you can experience as an eternal being is separation from God, your creator. Separation. Separation from God. Nothing about fire and brimstone. It's there. But we don't need to emphasize that. The worst thing you can experience is that separation. Eternal separation. You had your hand up. I didn't want to, I wanted to finish my point. Right? Yep. Yeah. And if you have a problem with the rules, then you, you don't take them up with the person. You take them up with God. Well, let's even go further than that. The reason why we have a problem with God's rules, let's turn that into God's word, is because of our flesh. If we were not in the flesh, we wouldn't have any issue with God's word or God's rules, as you put it. It's our flesh. The moment we acknowledge, and we will be doing this later in this lesson, by the way, the importance of knowing that God has good intended for us by following his word. And when you don't follow his word, you've made a choice that you know better than God does, at least at that given moment. Which is a big risk to take, isn't it? It's a risk to take. And that's a risk you can take. You are free to make choices in whatever way you want to, just as everybody else is free to make choices about whether they want to follow God or not. But the worst thing, <clears throat> to tie back to what I was saying before, is when you get bad teaching. Bad teaching is a huge issue that we need to be very thankful and praise God you have been exposed to good teaching. And pray for those people you know who are so far off, far afield with bad teaching and bad understanding. It's all over social media, by the way. Yes. Okay. And we were sharing with the kids. 
That's right. But not only that, he shows us the sin sacrifice of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Amen. Says, you, know, you can see the consequence of sin throughout Scripture. Yep. He shows clearly why wouldn't we think that there would be a consequence for totally leaving him. And he shows us each time he has to take care of that sinful nature by something. That's right. Let me go ahead. Go ahead. <coughs> now there's a, <coughs> there's a rule. And if you break the rule, then you, you fight against the rule to change the rule. So what, that's the same thing they, we do with Scripture. Sure. You know, a Scripture says this, but, you know, it's not, but, and I can't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everybody's in rebellion against rules. Amen. That's right. It's a choice you make, isn't it? And to your point, how many of you have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? Okay. Saw so yesterday. Okay. A lot of people, I'll say a lot of people, a few people I know, don't like what happened to Jesus Christ before he got nailed to the cross. Why? Because it's graphic. It's a very graphic demonstration, probably spot on with what happened to Christ. Well... Well, that's fine, but it was pretty, that was pretty intense, though. I mean, if you're, if you're watching that, that tells you what the consequence of sin is. The consequence of sin was that he had to die on the cross for us to pay for our sin. And all of the blood being shed from the whippings and the beatings and the graphic demonstration of him being nailed to the cross, those were things that people had to see. You have to understand that... Without, because that's not all talked about in Scripture, except that Jesus was flogged. You'll see that in Scripture. But what does that flogging mean? If you do the history of that and the research of that, it takes your skin off. So we need to see that what the consequences of sin are, that because of what Christ did for us, we don't have to face that. Okay. One of the views is that that was brutality for 120 minutes. Okay. That's a view. That's a view. Sure. It shows that, but it had nothing to do with salvation. Beating has nothing to do with salvation. Okay. The thing that had something to do with salvation was the death. True. And the burial. Well, I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to correct you slightly. Okay, well, that's a view, but Christ's blood had to be shed. You have to understand that those beatings perpetuated Christ's blood to be shed. It was a part of the process. It was within the process. Basically, Jesus Christ. He may have, may have asphyxiated himself on the cross, but he bled out, everybody. That, that, that is basically what the view is. He bled out. But what does that blood do? That is the sacrifice. That's what happens when, with the blood sacrifices, sprinkling on both sides of the altar and all that. That's all part of the sacrifice. 
That is part of the image. It's part of the process is what Ed said. Yes. That's right. Yep. Yep. Right. Sure. Sure. right mm-hmm. yes it was beautifully in line with scripture yeah yeah mm-hmm. yep absolutely that's right that's right Sure. Yep. That's true too. Yep. Yep. Yes. It adds to the information that you're already given about the sacrifice. Let me make this point too. This psalmist that we're reading about here is experiencing a languish. He's languishing. He's fearful. What do you think Jesus Christ felt on the cross when he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is it much different than this? Because we're seeing what sin does. We're seeing that sin that he took, remember, he took upon all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, on the cross. And what does that sin do? It separates. It's a separation. So he cries out these words, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because what happened is that he did not have this connection with God at that point on the cross. But what was happening at that time? He was languishing. He was in pain. He was dealing with all the issues surrounding what was happening at that point. Because he was completely in the flesh and yet completely God. Okay. So in verse 4, the psalmist is begging God for deliverance. Deliverance. Deliverance from what? The suffering. Deliverance from the suffering. Jesus knew that he had to suffer on the cross for us. That's why he was dreading and praying about what was going to happen. Because in his flesh, he knew he was going to go through it. And of course, he remained obedient to God to the point of death because he recognized that, no, he didn't have to suffer. But that's something he chose to do because he was obedient to God. Suffering is something that none of us enjoys doing. We don't want to go through it. We're over now on page three. 
the psalmist is asking for God to return to him. He felt the absence of God in his present suffering. Sometimes I feel that way too. This is the writer Jennifer Rothschild writes this. Do you? I think it's because I'm so aware of my personal pain. It can grow so big in my world that everything else, including God's presence, seems to shrink. And for the point of clarity here, the writer Jennifer Rothschild, for those of you who are not familiar with her, she is legally blind due to retinitis pigmentosa. So she has an ailment where she used to be able to see and now she can't anymore. So she's had to deal with this her entire life and it's not coming back to her. Well, that's personal pain. That's suffering. Perhaps it's a matter of our perspective and not God's presence. The thing that Jennifer is challenging us to look at here, as well as myself, is that we can perceive a lot of stuff about God. But we don't, we don't really remember when we're suffering that God is still right there with us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't run away someplace. And understand something. Jesus' perspective on the cross was that God had abandoned him. Because his flesh was dictating that. So it's not a far-fetched thing for us to see and understand looking at what scripture has given us. And looking at how we experience this suffering and feeling as though God has abandoned us. But did God abandon Jesus on the cross? No. He was merely being obedient, as it says. And of course we know the end result. Where one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ has been elevated because of what he did. Okay. Our perspective can sometimes push us away from God because we think that he is not present in the midst of our suffering. We need to remind ourselves, and this is a reminder thing, everybody. Any super Christians out there that don't need to be reminded of this? There shouldn't be. You know what? Just when you think you've got something mastered, God gives you something else to deal with. Amen? That's true for all of us. Just when you think you've got something licked, you know what? I won't do this anymore, Lord. I've got this in down pat. It's, and that's fine because there will be things in your life that you say are down pat. You won't be doing those things anymore. But then something else comes up. More teaching time for you. More learning for you. You don't stop learning. Consider this, though, and ask God for his guidance as you consider your own life. Is it true for you? Now, there's a whole section there where it says we jot down a prayer for him, a prayer to him about suffering. And look what it says there. Dear Lord, I feel blank. I know blank, I confess blank, I believe blank, I want blank, I need blank, you are blank, amen. Now, you may not fill in every line, but I promise you, every one of you in this room can fill in at least one. And maybe the one down on the bottom as well, too. Because every one of us should be praying to God 
is dealing with something right now. It may not be the most extreme suffering, but it may be something that is all about where you are right now in your development and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Sure. a good question. What do you think? Yes. Oh, you didn't hear the question. At one point in time, Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Was it a point that Jesus felt that God had forsaken him, or was it a point that because he had taken on all the sin, God wasn't looking down upon the sin? I think it's both, uh, to answer your question. It's both. It's the flesh, because we know that Jesus was flesh. He was in the flesh, but without sin. So now you're in the flesh without sin, so you know that you know what sin is, but you now are taking on the sin of everyone that you're dying on the cross for. Well, there's a consequence for that. The consequence for that deals with this perception that you're separated from God. And that's what he, I believe, was experiencing. Yes, go ahead. That's true, too. right before the world began mm-hmm. so what he's looking for is that he doesn't look like they were before mm-hmm. he ever took one that's right yeah John 17 is a great chapter to read that's Jesus's prayer It gives you perspective as to the knowledge of what he is going to go through and what he is longing also to experience through that process. So that's a great, that's a great, I'm glad you mentioned that again because that was great. Um, Okay, so that is going to have to be your homework. Unless you know something to write down right now in (laughs) in those lines. About what you feel, I know, I confess, I believe, I want, I need, you are. 
you know what you're going through better than anybody else. Of course, it's all in what you share and don't share with others. And just from a discipleship standpoint, I wouldn't expect everyone to share everyone else's business with somebody else. It's not a good plan to do that unless you really, really trust that other person to keep that in confidence. But having said that, you got your own piece of paper and you can write down how you're feeling. And put that down as a way of a reminder when you're doing your devotionals or when you're doing your study time to look at that and pray in remembrance of what you want God to deal with in your life. You know, sometimes we need to be able to articulate exactly what's happening in our life. God sometimes needs to show us what we're dealing with. Amen? In a way that we can understand it. Because sometimes we don't understand what we're going through. And we don't even know how to encapsulate it. God knows, but he wants you in developing your relationship with him for you to know. He wants you to know. He, wants you to, he doesn't want you just going around in the ether, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know what's happening. Well, whose fault is that? If you don't know, that's on you. If you don't start asking God what's going on or what's happening, he'll show you. If you, if you really want to know, he'll show you. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't want to know. We know we've done stuff we shouldn't be doing. But the thing you don't want sometimes, you don't want the answer. That's another problem that we have as well, too, as believers. The word is complete. We make it incomplete when it comes to how we live. Okay. Someone else have their hand up? Okay. All right, so that's suffering. Any questions about suffering at all? And you know what? Not to minimize it at all, too. Because we get older, we, we are going to have what are going to be our proverbial aches and pains. Amen? We're going to be having a little soreness here. You know, we don't move like we used to. We shouldn't be climbing up ladders and going up on rooftops like we used to. We shouldn't be doing things that can exacerbate our injuries anymore. You know, I've got a sore back. I don't complain about it. I just kind of deal with it, per se. But we have to understand there's different types of suffering. And I'm kind of going more with, yeah, there is physical, but there's also emotional suffering. There's emotional suffering. And there are a lot of people who just have damage from a lifetime of emotional suffering. And that goes a little bit deeper than the physical part. So I want to make sure that you're aware of that when you are discipling others who have been through a lifetime of drama and tragedy and issues that come up, how you can pray for those people. Ask the Lord how to pray for them and keep them in prayer. Now, I've got to give, I gotta give a kudos to my brother Walt over here. Walt is about filling the page down here. And I'm, not, and I'm, not, I'm saying that because... He has an idea of what to pray about. And that's good. That's, that's really all you can ask. 
And you know what? And those answers that you write down, they can change and they can be modified and you can build upon that. Understand something. When you come to church and the pastor puts up sermon notes, you can write down those sermon notes and put them in your Bible. And if you want to, you can never refer to them again. Amen? You could. Sermon notes are something that you need to keep track of. And if you have access to our website, you can see the sermon notes for previous sermons. Even if you don't write them down. But the point is, is that you can come back to it and refer back to it. That's why we emphasize during the seminar, take notes, take notes, take notes. The notes are going to be there for you in your personal study time. Take notes. It used to crack me up when I would visit a church and I'd see they didn't crack open the Bible but one time and people didn't bring their Bible and it would be about reading one verse and that's the end. These are so-called Baptist churches. That's a joke. That's incomplete. Where's the context? Context is so important in this study and in all studies. So we're now at a stopping point because I think I've got less than five minutes. But now we've got this number three topic, which we'll lead into and finish up with next week. And that's sin. Remember we just said talked about how sin is an issue and what sin does? We are separated from God because of sin. The separation that Jesus Christ experienced on this cross, yes, he was in the flesh, but he really felt it on the cross because of the sin burden that he took on for all of us. He really experienced it. Can you imagine taking on the sins of the world for the present and the future? And we know what kind of sin is out there. Amen? We know that it is egregious, some of the sin that's being perpetrated today. And yet he took all that upon himself for the sole purpose of winning souls to him. We have the images from the movie but we don't really have an image of what that meant from the standpoint of taking on sin. But we know what sin does to us. We know that sin is a separator. Sin is a divider. Sin is what ravages many families. And it can have a generational effect on families. We need to remember, sin is nothing to play with. We play with it all the time, but it's nothing to play with. Though God is omnipresent, we can become separated from him through, his, through loss of intimacy. 
Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. Now, understand something. It's true that sin separates you, but God always has a door open for you to go back to him. You feel like God's not listening to you because you have chosen not to speak to him. You have chosen to break fellowship with him because of sin. Yeah, he doesn't want to have anything to do with sin. So much so that he had to kick Lucifer, Satan, out of heaven because of his sinful behavior. There's no place in heaven for sin. Rebellion. Our biggest issue in the flesh is what? Rebellion. We need a Savior. We need Him as a Savior. Because we're rebellious. We were taught rebellion because of all this fleshly behavior. If you want an Easter message, that's the Easter message. To remember that we need a Savior. And we're very thankful that Jesus Christ did what he did on the cross for us. So we will pick up with this part of the lesson next week. And understand that, yes, we can build barriers. Like it says in Isaiah 59 too. We have built barriers to keep ourselves away from God. And Satan is a major part of that. Y'all so quiet right now? But it's something to think about, isn't it? Aren't you grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for you? That's what we need to remember. Without that, we wouldn't have anything. That's the reason why we're here today. That's the reason why we're talking about He is risen. Because He overcame the grave for us. Amen? Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to have good discussion about suffering and even leading up into the discussion about sin. About how Jesus Christ truly paid the price for us as being our eternal sacrifice. Lord, we know that you had to shed your blood to pay for our sin. We know that every lash that you took was because of our sin. Lord, we are just thankful for what you've done. We couldn't begin to repay you for what you've done. But Lord, help us to be mindful that you just call us to be obedient. You just call us to seek after you, be obedient to your word, because your word is good for us. We thank you, Lord, for the constant reminders that you give to us to seek after you, to fellowship with you, to study with you, to learn from you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We just thank you. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. We'll see you next time.